Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 117. We're laughing because we're not even sure. It might be 116, 118. Just check uh, in the iTunes. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always, the Weeping Willows, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. And Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network, but we are also proud to hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. The hashtags SSPod uh, always gets a hold of us or 614-681-1798. That's a phone call or text, 614-681-1798. On today's show, we're going to talk about why some words are easy to memorize and some words are difficult. The importance of music and memory, especially patriotic music this 4th of July weekend. Uh, Disney has won a lawsuit in the disability category. Uh, we have the SS Pod shoutouts, the informed SLP uh, jumps in about tongue ties and also the ASHA spotlight. But let's start the way we always do. We are recording this a few days before 4th of July. So Michelle, shout out to your husband. Uh, for doing his duty to keep us so that we can keep recording these podcasts in the land of the free. Happy 4th of July, Michelle. What are you doing this weekend? Hey, well, thanks for that. Uh, We are celebrating my two-year-old who turns two on the 4th of July. Born yeah. on the Fourth of July. Yep, there you go. So uh, every Bruce Springsteen fan out there is like, that is not how the song goes. <laughs> that does not sound right, Matt. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. That's that's our plan, and we are prepping for our move. I only have a couple more days left of work, as does my husband, and we have movers coming next week. So I have a question. You guys are down near a base. Is Fourth of July? Is this your first Fourth of July or second Fourth of July down there? Um, second. Second. Yeah. Did last year, did they do like a big, 
thing near the base or is it pretty quiet on fourth um on the base they usually have a show like a fireworks show and everything but um last year we had a one-year-old that was (laughs) in bed so we did not go to that i was really hoping for some fireworks this year because two years ago i was having a baby so i didn't see any fireworks Mm, and one year ago we had a one-year-old so i didn't see any fireworks and this year most of them are canceled COVID. Mike, what are you doing this week? Anything special 4th of July themes in your, uh, I was going to call it Facebook groups, speech therapy groups? Uh, probably not. Like, it, I think it falling on a Saturday this year kind of yeah. like, throws it off a little bit. I think if it was in the middle of the week, you know, we'd have a little bit more, uh, you know, getting more involved. But uh, I think it's falling in a, at a good time on a Saturday. So if more families can get together. A lot of families that have been and socially distancing i think it'll be a good week where people can get outside where things are safe and mask up and be together i think that'll be nice i was gonna say the important part mask up as today they reported america is number one in the world with fifty thousand new cases Whew. we've we've been number one in the world for a very long time we're number one yeah we're number one yeah but awesome yeah i am terrible at doing holiday themed therapy I don't care if it's Christmas or Hanukkah or Halloween or Thanksgiving or New Year's. I don't do anything special in therapy groups. I'm terrible at that. But you can do simple things, too, like even just the vocabulary you use or I don't. the questions you ask kids. I don't. All right, well, whatever works, I'm like, Matt. <laughs> I'm like, I printed this article out last Friday before I realized Wednesday was Halloween. So we are going to read about a zoo animal. Do you at least ask them if they're dressing up for Halloween? Yeah, I do that. That's that's fair. I do that. Um, here in Cincinnati, my high, the high school, the school district I work at, the high school is doing a reverse parade. So all the floats that would be in the parade are going to be parked in the high school parking lot. Oh. And we're going to drive. We're going to be the parade route. We're going to drive through reverse the first parade. I like that. Right. Yeah. So that way the kids can get to see all the floats and all the fire trucks and uh, police cars and the bands and whatever else is in a 4th of July parade. The veterans, I guess, standing or sitting, I hope, in the shade. Um, <laughs> so we'll be driving through and seeing all that. So that's kind of cool. I've also been super addicted to TikToks, as Michelle was making fun of me before the show started. And guys, I got to tell you that I have visited almost every Walmart in the Cincinnati, Lebanon, Dayton area in the last 48 hours hunting for an action figure. And ask me if I found it. You didn't. I did not. Oh. I had to buy it off of Facebook Marketplace. (laughs) Which action figure? What is is this? So it's a two-pack Casey Jones undercover Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie from 1990. Oh, (laughs) nice. From the original movie? From the original. That movie still holds up 100%. That's one of the best movies around. I'm, I'm with you on that one. My brothers and I loved Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. That, that was Jim Henson, I think. Probably. I think it was. And I'm, sh- I'm going to show it on <laughs> the camera that no one can see on an so audio did get podcast. It. Well, so I bought it on the Facebook black oh, market. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Facebook <Nice>. black market? <laughs> it's the Facebook marketplace. That movie is awesome. It retailed for 50 I had to pay $65 for it. That's so. not as bad as it could be. No, he originally wanted 110. So you talked him down. Look at you. I did. I won. What do you like better, the first movie or the second one? All of them. I like Super Shredder in the second one. Kevin, my son Kevin Nash. does. Yeah, my son doesn't like 
any of the originals, so he'll like the new ones. No, but, no, no. The new ones are but, so bad. <laughs> but you know what, though? It's good because uh, watching any of them gives me cred with my therapy patients. So. I've never seen the third one. Is that Turtles in Time? It's yeah, Turtles in yeah. Time. Turtles in Time is the video game. No, but, okay, uh, no, but they go to medieval. But they, it's but awesome. They go back in time, yeah. I like never, it. Never seen it. So. Ah, Mike, you should. Michelle, do you? Are you a turtle person? Or you're like, please, let's just go talk to. No, I. Right when you walked to get your action figure, I was saying that my brothers I and love I loved Ninja the Turtles. original Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, it's awesome. I love yep. it. And I liked Michelangelo mainly because of the nunchucks and because his name mm-hmm. was close to Michelle. You know. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Leonardo was always my guy because he was the leader. In reality, oh, I'm yeah. Donatello, but I wanted to be Mike. I wanted to be Leonardo. Yeah, I like Leonardo too. So and Raph. All right, tell us what your turtle is. SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. Mike, you sent us this article. This one is coming out of the National Institutes of Health. Uh, they talk about it's a, a news release. Why are some words more memorable than others? Basically, the article talks about the higher frequency words are easier to memorize than lower frequency words. Is this really any different than what we already kind of knew in therapy land? I feel like it was more than that, though. Like, didn't they go into um, explaining overall there was... Well, I mean, yeah, it it supports previous studies which suggest the brain visits or passes through highly connected memories, like the way animals forage for food or a computer searches the internet. So the high frequency ones, like you said, but then it also talked about other words that they wouldn't think would be more memorable. Right. Because they they happen more often for some reason. So it's almost like going to core vocab. Mm-hmm. Like those very basic, uh, like core words. So when I work with my my adult patients in dementia rehab or stroke rehab, I talk to them about like how memory is impacted by a handful of things. And, you know, we talk about the, the, the basic needs, hunger, thirst, anger, depression, fatigue, all that, how that impacts. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about emotion. So if it's emotionally charged, you're going to remember it more. So if it's positive or negative emotion. And then we talk about repetition. If you If you repeat it a lot, you're going to remember it more. And then purpose and intentionality. So, for example, if you lay your coffee cup down anywhere you walk, there's no purpose and intentionality to it, so you're not really going to remember where you put your coffee cup. But if you hang your car keys right by the door, there's a purpose and an intention. The purpose is I don't want to lose my car keys. The intention is I'm putting them here so I always know where my car keys are. And we talk about how that works with vocabulary too because I always say, oh, my gosh, I can't remember the words I want to say. I feel like this gives what I've been telling patients a little bit more credence in the the emotional charge words because we use them more often, the repetition and the purpose and the, the intentionality of our vocab. It's going to be impacted from person to person. If I am a math teacher, the math vocab is going to be stronger than my, my English vocab, I would think. Well, because that's of- like your core vocab as a math mm-hmm. teacher yeah. would be would include those things. Right. A lot of these words also are very basic words we learn very early on. So we have much more of a prolonged time to use them, and we're learning them during a period where our brains are, are sponges for information. So this core vocabulary that we're learning very early on, we're learning them based on pictures and images and real-world experiences. 
and they're clearly sticking in there. Uh, you, you know, like they, they give the example of hand, arm, room, box, spoon, land. You know, these are very, very early words. Sometimes within the first 100 words, a kid learns. So if you're able to really practice these across the entire lifespan, uh, they're really going to uh, get stuck in there. I, I thought it was interesting how they talked about the concreteness of a word didn't impact its ability to be to be recalled. And concreteness meaning like is there a very clear image of right. that, right? Like a one definition right. of that word. Like a glass is a glass. It doesn't matter if you're like a glass of water is a glass of water. It doesn't matter if you're thinking of a plastic cup, a tall cup, a little cup. It's still a glass and you know what that looks like in your brain mm-hmm. versus fear. Mm-hmm. Or I think the one uh, example they did was a word like moth was no more memorable yes. than yes. something like chief, which could mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to executive functioning with nonverbal working memory, which is the like besides inhibition and the ability to stop and pause, the first thing that we learn, the first executive function to develop is this nonverbal working memory. And this is, is when it we, really? yep. And this is when we create image because so that's pretty much how it starts. First, we learn how to stop and pause. We learn how to inhibit and stop and stop ourselves from acting. And then we activate our nonverbal system, our visual imagery system. Um, and we were able to re-image the relevant past. And really, I guess from the very beginning, we're associating these images with these words. So everybody has their own unique individualized image for these flexible words. Mm-hmm. So the concreteness of the word doesn't matter for memory because your memory is going to be specific. Exactly. To that Every, everybody has their own image of what fear looks like. Hmm. Yep. I, I've used this article because you sent it to us about a week ago. I've used it a little bit with patients this past week, kind of explaining explaining vocabulary. Because I had a patient uh, actually today tell me in therapy that they had a major breakthrough where somebody said a key word and then all of a sudden they were able to explain something that they hadn't thought of in 25 years. And that made them cry because it was the first time that they were able to add something to a conversation since their diagnosis. And we were talking about how uh, it's kind of like a roadmap and or like an atlas. And when they had their diagnosis happen, their, their situation, that that road got broken. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, they found a way to connect to it. And then it connected to all these other vocabulary words that were associated with that. Uh, and I felt that was kind of interesting when they talk about here, you know, being a Google search or a Google roadmaps. My question, though, with this is when we use the mini mental stat status exam or the St. Louis University memory scale, we use Apple Penny Table House Car. Please remember these words, Apple Penny Table House Car. You know, should we be looking at words that are maybe less frequency? Because they talked about in the study how in the 300 words that they used, the, the 300 common words, the, what was it? The top five were on average about seven times more likely to be successfully recalled than the bottom five. Is that Should memory we be look- task? I haven't given that test in a long time. Is that a delayed recall? Yeah, task? so basic. That's more, for sequ- that's more for sequencing than the actual, it's correct? Like that's, get it, you have to say the words in correct order? Nope, just no? any five, you just have to say them five. So it's, you know, I'm going to give you these five words. Please repeat them back to me. I'm going to ask you what they are in a moment. Uh, Apple Penny Table House Car, Apple then, Penny Table House Car. is it a set time car. before you ask them back? So then I give them a math test mm-hmm. question. Okay. And it's, uh, you have, you have a, yeah, a distracting event. You have $100. You spend $20 on a bike, $3 on apples. How much did you spend? 23 bucks. How much do you have left over? $77. 
-hmm. Tell me what those five words are. Apple Penny Table House Car. And it doesn't say in the test that it can't be in any order. Because I've had patients go, Penny is on the table, in the house, the car is in the garage. And then, you know, they'll be like, garage. And I'm like, well, you missed Apple, but four out of five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So should we be looking at other than the top five? Or is there, you know, I mean, there's probably a purpose to the Apple Penny table house car situation. There probably should be, you know, a ranking of questions. You can start with the Apple Penny, you know, house car. And then <laughs> table, and then, <laughs> table, table. <laughs> and then you can move on to, you know, less frequency words. If they ace that, no problem. So is there another, is there a follow-up question or is it just those words? It's just those words. Yeah, maybe there should be a follow-up. And also, let's not, and I, and, I, and I know there's some home healthcare SLP or some sniff SLP right now that's saying the mini mental in the slums is not the end-all be-all of tests. 100% agreed. But sometimes when you need a very quick free uh, sca uh, scanner test, I was going to say a scanner, um, screener test, sometimes that's all you got in facility. For but. a screener test, I think it is what it is. And then mm -hmm. I think that's the kind of thing that can inform... I think yep. this information is more informative for your therapy sessions mm, than the screener because you can, you can do delayed memory tasks. You could do it every session true. if you want to work on that and give them strategies for recalling things and, and make That's it true. more complex or even more functional to what, what are their core vocab to remember. I'm trying to think the, I have the RIPA two and the or cognitive linguist. I should say that are important to them. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I have the RIPA two, which is the Ross informational processing assessment. And I have the cognitive linguistic quick test. Okay. And the, the RIPA it or whatever it's called. Yeah. I love that. I love, I, I love typing out click it. And click my, it. my, my, my director's like, what is CLQT? And I'm like, this is the test you didn't let me buy that I paid for out of pocket. Uh, <laughs> It's a good one. <laughs> but no, the RIPA has a three-word recall that you do, and then you do two two segments, I think. Yeah, you give it to them at the beginning of the test, and then you do section one, section two, and then ask what the words are. So it's a longer recall, but it's still Apple Penny Table. And then the click it is a story recall. So you read them a story that has 25 parts into it, and they need to recall all 25. Well, eight of the 25 parts. Okay. So, so that's what that is. We want to hear from you though. So let us know, uh, <laughs> speech science podcast at gmail.com speech science podcast.com or six, one, four, six, eight, one, one, seven, nine, eight. Uh, guys, that is two weeks in a row where my microphone has gone wonky. So I am worried about my computer right now. So oh, I'm going to no. keep it going. Our next article is coming out of the Orlando Sentinel and the house of mouse. I give them money every month because I am a, <laughs> somewhat disney landowner at this point in time uh they, i thought you were gonna say like a disney i don't know some other word other than landowner <laughs> I, I technically pay taxes and stuff on property in orlando right now all right very minimal very very minimal oh, for a timeshare right? for my timeshare i'm okay. like a point oh one percent owner of a disney hotel just so you guys know i'm a hotel magnet <laughs> nice. Lucky you. Uh, but no out of the orlando sentinel uh, Disney has won a lawsuit over a mother's fight for an autistic son to ride attractions uh, without weight. And the background of this story was uh, this mother uh, stated um, that her son with autism was unable to wait in lines 
and due to his autism was unable to be told or understand that there is a waiting process for rides and she wanted fast pass access or front of the line access on every ride everything that they walk up to disney has a disability pass and uh last summer at this time we interviewed uh magic on wheels the disney blogger with disabilities uh, on the show and she talked about the disney access pass and basically what the Disney Access Pass is, is that you go to the front and say, I have difficulty waiting in line. Disney gives you this pass. Uh, you show it to the person at the front of the line, the front of the line or at the at the gate at the line. And they say, OK, the current wait is 90 minutes. So please come back in 75 to uh, two hours. And you show up in that 30 minute window and you walk onto the ride. So they okay. said that that is good enough. And Disney won the lawsuit. So I thought was interesting looking at this article is that back in 2013, Disney created that pass mm -hmm. because of reports of tourists hiring people with disabilities or terminally ill children to help them get to the front of lines and ride multiple times. Yes. Um, so quick question, just because I don't know mm -hmm. much about the disability access service card. Um, how do you obtain that? Uh, you go to the front, uh, like customer service and say, I have a situation where I cannot wait in line. Okay, and then they're able to issue it, and then yep. from and it there. could be from diabetes, it could be heart, it could be hurt knee, mm -hmm. it could be social anxiety, it could be autism. They don't ask. Um, what about inpatients? <laughs> I mean, what is that? Is what that is a that? diagnosis? <laughs> but no, they so they don't ask. You could, I think, depending on the cast member, they might say, "Oh, you know." Prob which is not legal, but they might say, oh, how come, as they're filling out the pass, but you don't have to tell them, and they'll give it to you. Okay. Pretty cool. Um, I mean, I think it, I love that they do that, and I, I had no idea that these sort of cases, it looks like this attorney has filed a lot of them for mm -hmm. um, for various disability-related concerns. So there was a underground Disney blog that would put park goers into contact with people with disabilities and what they would do is these people with disabilities would have season passes to disney and they would uh charge two or three hundred dollars for the day and they would go around with your family and they would walk to the front of the line, say, I, you know, I have my disability card and they would walk right onto the rides. So that's kind of why Disney stopped that process completely and went with this accessibility pass. Interesting. Yeah. I guess I don't, um, I don't quite get, I'm sure there's got to be some step in there because people could probably still take advantage of this somehow. I'm sure they do. Yeah. The well, so Disney is saying, you know, while you're waiting for Seven Dwarfs Mine Ride, go get on Dumbo. While you're waiting on Seven Dwarfs Mine Ride, that's a two-hour wait. Go do something else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not catching people from taking advantage of it, but there so are they're some still people. they're saying it still is a wait time. It's just keeping yeah. people from just going through the line. Yeah, so if, times. if there's a two-hour yeah. line, you're going to have to wait two hours. Mm-hmm. But, this avoids the standing in line part. Mm -hmm. But during that two mm -hmm. hours, go get food, go watch a show, go ride another ride. Mm -hmm. So she was saying, or she was suing that her son did not understand the wait. 
And I guess I was going to kind of throw this to you, Mike, because you're kind of the executive functioning guru, at least Sweet. between the three of us. <laughs> that, yeah, that it. like we ask you a lot of questions. There you go. Is there isn't there a thing though in therapy to target the executive functioning skill of delay gratification? Of course, absolutely. That is a major executive function skill. The ability, the ability, and a major life skill. A major life skill. That's a, this is this is the whole the famous marshmallow test. Of delayed gratification. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is this is uh, you know, that's this all comes back to what I was talking about before of the ability to inhibit and wait and pause, and then obviously in the beginning it's more of like oh I'm gonna like a young child around three or four will inhibit because they sense danger or something they don't like, but as they get older, uh, that delayed gratification should get further and further into the future as we build something called our future thinking skills. And that's when our nonverbal working memory and our verbal working memory should help us to stay self-regulated, self-motivated, uh, and the, the ability to evaluate past experiences so that we are able to delay gratification even longer. Uh, but in terms of this, uh, I think this is just, you know, people getting frustrated in a crowded hot park, uh, but, in, but delayed gratification is definitely something that, uh, really it comes comes in handy big time because think about it like uh dr russell barkley who's like the nationwide leader on adhd he uses college as the ultimate example of delayed gratification he basically says like i am going to basically live in poverty and be poor for four years just so i can get a degree so i can earn hmm. twenty thousand thirty thousand more than someone who did not that's like the ultimate form of delayed gratification I am still waiting on my delay gratification then. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, so this is from the Disney Parks blog. Uh, it says, who's eligible? And it says, anyone who is not able to wait in a conventional queue environment due to a disability, including non-apparent disabilities. So that would be autism, paranoia, uh, you know. Um, oh, what's the word I was looking for? Anxiety. Uh, it says, does it require a doctor's note? Or proof, and it says Disney Parks takes guests at their word, and there are legal restrictions around asking for proof, and they are good for 14 days. So if you go, you need one every 14 days. Okay. So there you go. Hit us up. How is your delayed gratification? SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. We will delay your gratification until right after the break when we talk about what good is ASHA doing this week, or if they are, and also how does patriotic music affect your brain this, or this past July 4th weekend. You're listening to Speech Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, 
at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking tongue tie. Do tongue ties affect speech? This is a review of two different articles. The first is Clinical Consensus Statement, Ankyloglossia in Children, published in Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. And the second is Speech Production in Young Children with Tongue Tie, published in the International Journal of Pediatric Otorhinolaryngology. And that first article is open access, by the way. You won't find many hotter topics in our little corner of the world right now than tongue ties, aka ankyloglossia, aka tethered oral tissues, aka a very short and or tight sublingual frenulum that restricts lingual mobility. If you're a regular reader, you'll know that we've reviewed lots of other research on tongue ties, from the impact of feeding assessment on revision rates, to complication rates, to the link between tongue tie and breastfeeding problems, to, well, there's a lot. And links to all of those are in the written version of this review. What we haven't seen much of is research on the hypothesized link between tongue tie and speech. For your interest, there are a couple of older systematic reviews that we link to in the review. The American Academy of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, published a paper this month providing their consensus on a number of statements related to tongue tie, including, quote, a consultation with a speech pathologist is encouraged before phrenotomy, frenuloplasty, in an older child who is undergoing the procedure for speech concerns, end quote. Wonderful. Thanks, ENTs. Um, now what? Well, here's some new information to ponder. The researchers in this study assessed speech sounds, intelligibility, and lingual control in three groups of children aged around three to five years, with no tongue tie, or children with no previous or current diagnosis of tongue tie, and yes, the researchers checked, untreated tongue tie, or children diagnosed with tongue tie as babies by a dentist and lactation consultant who had not had surgery, and treated tongue tie or children diagnosed with tongue tie as babies by a dentist and lactation consultant who had laser frenulotomy as infants. Here's what the groups did not differ on. Speech sound production, including production of alveolar and palatoalveolar sounds, intelligibility as rated by parents or clinicians, tongue mobility, Tongue tie diagnosis, measured using what the researchers reported is the only tongue tie measurement tool designed for children aged over one year, from a paper we link in the review. Here's what the groups did differ on. History of attending speech pathology. Four children with treated tongue tie, five with untreated tongue tie, and no children without tongue tie had attended speech pathology. How intriguing. Okay, so we can't draw any 100% dead certain conclusions from this study. The researchers used a retrospective design. That is, they looked at children who had been treated in the past rather than tracking them from before their treatment, recruited all their tongue tie participants from a single clinic, used a tongue tie assessment tool whose accuracy they found to be questionable, and did not account for a whole lot of potential confounding factors. Like, maybe the untreated tongue-tie group had less severe tongue-ties than the treated tongue-tie group, and that's why they were untreated. 
Or maybe the clinicians who diagnosed the tongue ties were prone to overdiagnosis. And so the untreated tongue tie and or treated tongue tie groups included children who never had a tongue tie to begin with. Or maybe the untreated group were using all sorts of compensatory speech patterns that might have some sort of negative impact on speech intelligibility or acceptability in the future. But can we draw any clinical implications from it? Well, we sure can. The key clinical message here is that it is not appropriate to recommend tongue-tie revision for the purpose of preventing speech problems. Without clear evidence that it does make a difference, and with some evidence that it doesn't make a difference, we simply can't justify recommending a surgical intervention prophylactically. Another important clinical implication is that if we send children off for tongue-tie revision to address existing speech problems, after a thorough differential assessment and a period of diagnostic therapy, of course, they may still require some habilitative services post-revision to acquire the sounds that were affected by their tongue-tie. No single paper is going to give us all the answers, but this paper is another piece of the puzzle. At the Informed SLP, we've been keeping a close eye on this area, so think of us as tongue-tie allies. To learn more about this paper and other new research, check out our reviews on theinformedslp.com. There's links to both the original article and the review in the show notes. The Informed SLP makes it easy for you to stay up to date on all of the clinically relevant research across the lifespan that comes out every month. Know what works to do what works. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 117. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always, Mike McLeod. Hello, sir. I was trying to think of a middle name and I couldn't get it for you. <laughs> and Michelle Wintering. And Michelle, hey. hey, you said during the break you had a comment on the marshmallow test. So we delayed our gratification to hear for your that. comment. Yeah, I was actually just going to throw out because I know the marshmallow test has come up in some capacity. Either marshmallows or fruit snacks or candy that kids, people are posting with their toddlers or young children on Facebook mm -hmm. doing that right now, like putting it in front of them and walking away and leaving them and telling them, don't eat it until I get back. And if, you, if I come back, I'll give you more, right? Um, just like the marshmallow test, which I remember so well, my undergrad was in psych and in my child psych class learning about it and how that how important the skill of delayed gratification is. And I was just going to throw out there because I recently learned that there was a follow-up study done to that or, you know, another really? version of that oh, study there's been in many, recent years. Many, many. Yeah, there's been many, oh. but in, in more recent years where they've talked about um, a really important thing to consider that wasn't distinguished in the first study is yes, delayed gratification is important, but um, a lot of times the children who have experienced food insecurity in their life, mm -hmm. if it's a food-based task, mm -hmm. um, are not going to wait to eat that. Uh, because. But if a child has not experienced food insecurity, they're more likely to wait because they know that they're still going to get the food. And what is classified as a food insecurity? I'm sorry. My my understanding is is food insecurity being like not knowing when their next meal is coming or mm. not knowing if they're going to get dinner that night kind of Ooh. thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. There, there's been so many versions of the marshmallow test. The original one yeah. has basically almost basically been disproven. 
because there's so many variables, including race, socioeconomic status, gender. It didn't take into it. It's yeah. It's such uh, a fascinating study, yeah. though, because it is important. But just because it was food based, I think there were yes, some flaws big that time. have come out later. Agreed. Yeah. So, am I kind of doing that with my son when we talk about you can buy one pack of Pokemon cards now because you have five bucks from the Tooth Fairy, or if you wait and do some chores and get up to $15, you can buy the special a limited edition box. Is that kind of the same idea? Yeah. You're teaching them. I, I think so, yes, but okay. you're also teaching them saving money. Well, like yeah, I, that, of, that, but I wonder if that was that. the same as saving delayed money, gratification. Saving money is delayed gratification. So there you yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, is he able, mm-hmm. does he do that? Does he wait? Um, Sometimes, like, it just depends, I think, on how bad he's jonesing for that new pack of Pokemon cards. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, no, I mean, what is, yeah, I mean, sometimes I teach him, like, he'll want to buy something, and I'm like, but is this worth six packs of Pokemon cards? He's like, oh, no. Mm. Yeah. You got to put it into terms he understands. Yeah. I do that in my head of, like, how many tanks of gas is this worth? <laughs> uh, evidently, when you drive to 24 Walmarts in two days, it's a lot of tanks of gas. When you're looking for a action figure. How so. many Chipotle burritos is this worth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hit us up on the website, speechsciencepodcast.com, 614-681-1798. An article coming out of CBS 12, I believe that's in New York, has an article about how patriotic music can connect Alzheimer's and dementia patients to their past. And this past weekend, when this airs, is July 4th. For us, that's the future. For you, that was a few days ago. Podcasting is weird. But I thought we'd take this opportunity to talk about the importance of music and therapy and how we utilize it. So who would like to go first? Hey, well, on this article, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll comment that go for it. when we say patriotic music, they didn't define specifically what it was, but most patriotic music is music that's been around a long time. Yep. So if you're looking at older patients who have Alzheimer's or dementia patients, uh, these music, this music, patriotic music is going to be from when they were younger. And I do remember, I think we talked about it probably a year ago on the podcast, (laughs) but um, the, there was a study about music um, from, I think the 20, if it's from your teens and Mm twenties, that that can really bring out um, memories and, and, help people with Alzheimer's and dementia later in life if you play music from that time in their life. Yeah, it cements it into your to your core being, I guess. I think, we, yeah. I, I think we've all seen that video from grad school of uh, the the patients in the SNF and someone gives them mm-hmm. headphones and like they're sitting there and they're like not even moving, not engaging. Then once they have the headphones on, listening to music from their time, they start moving and engaging and it elicits language. Yeah. And uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of groups that, that donate, uh, like CD players and tape recorders and all of that. Yeah. Or if you have ever had a chance to work, like there are some amazing music therapists out there for um, who work either in schools or in nursing homes. And um, I have a friend of mine who's a music therapist who I worked with in a school, but she also used to work in hospice care. And she talked about, you know, specifically finding music from... Um, that was impactful for that particular patient or based on their age or based on, uh, you know, patriotic as well. A lot of uh, elderly people who have Alzheimer's dementia right now are World War II veterans. That's fair. Um, so that's going to be another connection to some of that patriotic music. I had a patient who I did music therapy, not music therapy with, but we used music during therapy 
Mm-hmm. And it was one of my very first times doing it. Patient, nonverbal, dementia, uh, mid to late 90s. And they were like, home health care. Matt, go on in and see if you can make her memory come back. And I'm like, that's not how <laughs> therapy works at all, but okay. So I go in and I talk to their spouse. And their spouse mentions about how when they were younger, they would go dancing. And Michelle, when we're off the air, I'll tell you all the areas that they went because it's near us here in Ohio. Well, when you were here in Ohio. But like they where they would go and all this music. So I learned a whole lot about artists such as Teresa Brewer, Larry Adler, Mel Torme, Bunny Berengen, Vladimir Horowitz. And we would play these music, which are all like old big band standards. And all of a sudden, this patient who basically lays around all day and didn't do anything would start mumbling the words. Hmm. And then would call out their spouse's name and ask when they were going back to the dance hall. And it was one of those moments where the the, the spouse was beside himself, or beside themselves. Ah, uh, were people crying? Because I would be crying. The, the aide dropped their phone because they were like, what is this? So the spouse kept asking me to come back even at the end of the certification period when we had to discharge. And was like... Can you keep coming back out and doing this? And I taught the spouse how to look up music on their phone, mm-hmm. which my ther- my pa- my family education then turned into me teaching another mid to late 90-year-old person how to use their smartphone <laughs> to, to search YouTube for music. But it was funny. I'd be sitting there and they'd be like, does your device have Gershwin on it? And I was like, yeah, I can I can look up Gershwin. That That's that's easy. And then they're like, do you have the big band standard from night? And I'm like, I might. Well, let's see what YouTube has. The so. great internet. <laughs> but but that's my, that's my neat, experience. That's right? such a neat moment in therapy, Matt. Right? Because like at first you're like, I'm not doing anything. And then when they, you know, don't know what year it is, but they're asking their, their spouse when they can go back. You're like, you know what? For just a moment, I made everything a little bit better. So music's mm-hmm. awesome, man. But I do have a question about this patriotic music. Did you click the link to psychology today that's linked in this article? No way. I did not. So here's the music that they say that is the patriotic music that brings up good memories in people. Uh Uh-oh, why? (laughs) Your tone is making me nervous. Okay, well, Stars and Stripes Forever. Okay. Okay. Star Spangled Banner. All right. Of course. America the Beautiful. Okay. This Land is Your Land. Okay. God bless the USA. Yep. Born in the USA. Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue by Toby Keith. <laughs> and courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Um, can I just tell you, is that the one that's um, my my daddy served in yeah, the yeah. army, right? Yeah. Um, I would not count that as an old-timey like, I just have to say that when, patriotic when, song. when my husband got home from his deployment, the first one when we were dating at the time, it was his second deployment, but first one I knew him uh, from, they played that song when they all came into the gymnasium. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I thought I he had told me that, and I thought he was joking. He said, if they're going to play that song, Michelle, and I'm like, no, they're not. Like, they did. Did they play it? Do they still play it every time? That was at a particular base. I don't. It, they didn't do that at every base I've been at. That's fair. So. So. 
So patriotic but, music evidently is Toby Keith's courtesy of the red, white, and blue. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com, 614-681-1, what is it, 1798? Mike, why can't my brain remember the phone number I read every week? On the Instagram. 1798, Instagram, hashtag SSPod, of course, the Discord.SpeechSciencePodcast.com. We had some good conversation this week, Michelle, on the Discord. Yeah, Yeah, we did. Um, I forget what it was about, but it was interesting, and it kept me engaged for three days. Three days. What was it about? (laughs) Now I'm looking it up. I have to cheat. That's because your brain is um, outsourcing memories. Phone number you can read. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. I I wanted to talk about this on air real quick before we get there. It was about the uh, the assistant talk in Australia. Yep. So. Uh, on the Discord, there was a wonderful discussion after last week's episode about the assistance in Australia and uh, how they are kind of going through the same process that we are. Um, so, about the unknown use of, uh, of assistance. But I do have to know if you are the SLP in Australia. We are like, by the way, top 50 in Australia, guys, which is pretty darn cool. Of all podcasts. Of all medical and healthcare podcasts, we have the top 50 podcasts in Australia. Sick. Do we have accents to you? If you are listening in Australia, I want to know what we sound like. That's yes, good... we do. We have American accents yeah, to them. Yeah, definitely. I went, I mean, to, I went to Australia. So it's just like if my son yeah. watches the Wiggles, they have an accent to me. When I was... <laughs> because... we're, like, we're like neutral accent. The news teaches us to talk like we're from Ohio, where we don't have an accent at all. Uh, some of Ohio definitely has an accent. Well, yeah, the Clevelanders <laughs> in there. Cleveland by the lake. Cassie. Please, someone who is from Cleveland, write in and tell Matt that that was so, a horrible Cleveland. So, accent. side note: when I went, when I was in, uh, when I was doing leveling courses for phonetics, uh, we would have to transcribe words, and the professor uh, was from obviously Cleveland because I went to Kent, and so she would mark all my words wrong that I was writing and transcribing. I don't think our friends in Australia or other places in the United States know where Kent is necessarily. Kent State near Cleveland, Ohio. There you uh, no, go. No, you should. It's where the the National Guard sought to force uh, Kent State citizens. Yes, they, but I'm saying people might know it's Ohio. They're not going to know the Crosby location. Crosby Stills and Nash. There's a song about it. Mike, am I right it's on this? Ohio. They might know Ohio, but they're not going to know where in Ohio. Okay, that's true. That's very Anywho, true. You're right. Very you're true. right. But anywho's. She, she had to talk, listen to me talk before she gave me back points on the phonetic transcription because it was like a, it was like an English that we had to transcribe into IPA. It wasn't spoken. It was just how we would do it. And she was just assuming that we all spoke like we were from Cleveland. <laughs> so, see? Neutral. I just want to know how bad we sound in Australia. Well, you had an accent to the woman from Cleveland. No, I had no accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. SpeechSciencePodcast.com, Discord.SpeechSciencePodcast.com. All right. Our last little thing every week, we look at the good things that Asha is doing because it is super easy to point out everything that they don't do right. Sometimes they do things right. And, oh, and this, our SS Pod shout out. I was going to get to that after this, but do you want to do the SS Pod shout out now? No, you go for it. Okay. <laughs> the things that Asha is doing right. Uh, this week, they are in the perspectives of Ash's SIG groups. Uh, they are interviewing black and persons of color uh, SLPs and running their stories uh, on the Asha site so that we 
can get an idea into uh, areas that we're not familiar with. As, as a majority of white SLPs, it's wonderful to get a different perspective on this. So kudos to Asha. Mm-hmm. I've liked reading the, uh, the personal stories. Yeah. Uh, I read the on racial disparities, truth and reconciliation and invitation. I have not read the what lies beneath. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from what I've read of the tea leaves, it seems like they've got a bunch of these uh, interviews that are going to be going up over the next couple couple of weeks, which is pretty darn cool. I've read a lot of really interesting posts on uh, social media from Mm -hmm. uh, black social black SLPs in grad school. Uh, and their experiences of trying to get into a graduate program and, or, you know, being being in the minority within their program. And it's just it's just shocking. It's just this, like this stuff goes on and you just you don't even realize it. Just, you know, being a white person, all the, all the things that happen that you don't even pick up on uh, and that you wouldn't even think about because we, we've never experienced, you know, so much prejudice. It's really on, it's 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 almost like on a daily basis in terms of. Uh, what they have to deal with is just unbelievable. So kudos to Asha getting different perspectives out there. Cause it's very easy. I think it's very easy in, in our bubble of therapy world to not ignore what's happening in the world. But I think ignore is not the right word, but it's kind of what happens. We it get car- compartmentalize it. Yeah. To keep yeah, it yeah, away yeah. From, yeah. Because- from the therapy world. Yeah, because you're like, I got to go into my area of my clinic, do my job, go home, and and, and I want to hang out with my kids. I'm not thinking of anything else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's good to, to read a perspective outside of our situation. So I was re-listening to the Billy Fuller episode. And, That's a good episode. I like well, that Well, and because and, there was a discussion on a Facebook group about, you know, hiring more black male or black SLPs. And I made the comment because I had to re-listen to the podcast where he talked about uh, his first day in class and they told him the black studies were down the hall. Yep. And it's like, <laughs> you can't do that, man. Like, so cool. Kudos to Asha. Now, Michelle, you have our SS pod shout out. We should have done that at the beginning of the show, but we're going to do it at the end. Oh, I, somebody... do. I have it. I thought you do. Had you? It. Oh, I have it. Okay. Well, whatever. Uh, it is the I SS mean, pod. Sh- it. No, it's cool. I got it now. The SS pod shout out. It's our opportunity to recognize somebody who is doing something awesome. This one was submitted. So using the hashtag SSPod shoutout, you can tell us somebody that deserves to be recognized for the awesome that they are doing. And Jennifer Jamie, you are being recognized because uh, we didn't mention it last week, but you are the one that helps spearhead the new ASHA community for military spouses. So there you go. That's awesome. Thank you, Jennifer. Have you joined that yet, Michelle? I have, yes. Now, do they ask you, like, are you a military spouse? And did you have um, to prove it? Uh, no, I just joined the page. I think oh, I said okay. I am. But okay. Just like in, most of the communities are pretty open. You just hop on and Not the Asha them. Seals one. It's by I invite did, only. I did say most. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, our SS pod due process. It's our opportunity to throw somebody under the bus and we will discuss it on air for you. We do not have an SS pod due process this week. So that's pretty cool. I like that. No due process means things are not as terrible as they could be. It's true. But write in and tell right us in. what you think. SS pod due process. What is your due process? I think everyone is still reeling from what's happening. And I'm pretty sure in the next coming weeks, we will have how to go back to school as therapists will be in our SS pod due process. So, 
All right, so that wraps up the show this week. Let's end it like we always do. Mike, we kind of already talked about how therapy will look like during the 4th of July weekend, but what did you do on 4th of July since this will air after the 4th of July? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> should be should be seeing some family, which will be nice. Uh, hopefully just getting outdoors. I've been spending a lot of time uh, right here in this very chair uh, this past week, still doing teletherapy. So I would love to get outside and get uh, way more sun than I have been getting. Uh, just getting outside, getting some movement, some exercise will be will be a nice change of pace. Uh, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to just a nice a nice break in the action. That is awesome. And Michelle, uh, we kind of already talked about what you may be doing on base for Fourth of July, but since this airs after Fourth of July, do you think you'll be cooking out or doing anything? More yeah, homely. I mean that's that's the plan. Is just with our our neighbors right here, who we won't be neighbors with for too much longer. Since that means you can blow up the biggest firework and they can't get mad. Um, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> now okay. Question, and I, I, this may be my naive question. Like in my neighborhood, we have all of the Gus Griswolds out there trying to blow up everything that they can, and yeah. it sounds like dudes firing off m16s do they allow the loud personal fireworks near a base because of the concern that it may sound like actual weaponry or no i mean there i saw that face did you understand my question i think i do you're saying if they allow it near the base on the base no we can't we can't do fireworks on the base um they used to do them they're not doing this year just like a lot of places who aren't there usually is a fireworks show here um but as for things sounding like <laughs> well you know what i mean like in my neighborhood it's just i'm like what how, that sounds like a darn no whatever. because also we have i mean they have trainings and things oh, here point. where you hear booms and and there's shooting ranges and there's... michelle i am a civilian <laughs> No, oh, I mean, I'm trying to answer your question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, so it's actually not unusual to hear. They'll let us That's know fair. when some of the larger weapons are going so that we know that the big boom going off is is a tank. It's, it's purposeful. Yeah. Not yes. I'm not a big fireworks guy. You're not? Yeah. I think, I think you're a little played out. See, I grew up down here in Cincinnati on Labor Day. We have uh, WEBN's end of summer fireworks, and it's set across the Ohio River, and the rock station plays their music, and it's set to the fireworks, and they've done it for 40 years, 50 years. So I'm excited. My My favorite was um, a small little man-made lake in Ohio. As Mm -hmm. a kid, we would sit on friends or ours if we had one of pontoon boats and they would shoot fireworks off from one of the islands oh cool that's awesome so that to me was nice and you're not just in like a crowded yeah that's cool space with hundreds and hundreds of people no red white and boom for you michelle i've been oh i've been to red white and boom which is the big big firework celebration in downtown columbus but um i prefer the boats that's fair uh, I'm excited because hopefully this time next week, I do not have any broken fingers. My mom bought a 50 foot slip and slide for the boys and myself to run down the hill on Saturday when it's 95 degrees. Gosh, so. Do you guys have memories of a child as I, I remember doing the slip and slide so many times in our backyard that the next day I had bruises on my hips. I don't think I actually ever gone down a slip and slide. Really? Yeah. Mm, you're missing out, Matt. I'll find out Saturday. 
Yeah, let us know. Oh, we want to hear from you. You're the most important. Check out everywhere that you can find us, speechsciencepodcast.com. We're on Facebook. We are on the Twitters. We're on Instagram, hashtag SSPod. You can also give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Future discussion happening over at the discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support us, go over to patreon.com slash speech science podcast. Uh, in the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow because the mighty oak looks strong, but it will crack under pressure. The willow will return to form for mighty willows, Michelle Wintering and Michael McLeod. I'm Matt Hot. Our intro music was Please Listen Carefully by Jazard. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music, County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. The Informed SLP's music at the count by Broke for free. And our closing music, Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. Is licensed, they're both licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Bye. been an exceptional podcast network production speech science is edited and produced by mwh production please follow speech science on twitter at speech science pc and like our page on facebook for more original podcasts please visit exceptionaled.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts